Hey everyone and welcome to the Woofing Possum podcast, the canine podcast for you, the pooch parent and the dog daft. I'm your host Greg, I'm a dog trainer based up in the northeast of England and my company is called Great Paws. So, whether you're having a cuppa and snuggling with your dog, out walking your dog, training your dog or maybe in your caravan driving your dog somewhere, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, so let's dive into the next episode. Hey Sue. Hi Greg, lovely to meet you at last. Sorry Sue, I might have to do that again because my Siri suddenly decided (laughs) to kick in because I said the word hey. Um, (laughs) Try another word. Totally cut my own out, so I'll say hello instead because that that clearly didn't work very well. You'd think I'd know this by now, wouldn't you? Hey everyone, welcome along to this episode of the Woofing Possum podcast where I'm in conversation with a wonderful person called Sue Williamson who is not only a dog trainer in her own right, but she's also an author of a new book and specifically is a groomer who specialises in cooperative care and consent-based grooming and often works with dogs who really struggle with that type of interaction. So in this episode, we talk all about her book, her methods, uh, grooming in general and some of the challenges it brings to our lives and more importantly, the things that we can do to overcome them. So... That's enough of me. Let's get down to our conversation with Sue. Hi, Sue. Hello, Greg. Lovely to meet you at last. And you. Uh, this I'm. I'm so excited to have you join us on the Woofing Possum podcast Thank because you. you're. Well, obviously, we're going to dive into a topic that, despite having a dog that requires a lot of grooming, I actually know so little about this topic. So I'm really excited to kind of hear it from an expert and certainly obviously uh, an expert in your particular field around that kind of cooperative care grooming which is yeah. is, is massive because uh, I think it's it's one of those things that I think we often kind of um, dare I say see it as a, a chore and a necessity rather than a partnership thing that we that we do with our dogs. And I think the more the less you know about grooming and the particular the cooperative care the more of a chore it becomes because the dog doesn't like it so you've got to perhaps use a little bit more um restraint than you're happy with and the dog doesn't like it even more and it just gets into a battle and then eventually the dog decides I'm not having this anymore and you have to resort to even more pressure on them to get them groomed yeah it's I I I always uh, and I know obviously we we try our best not to humanize dogs too much but I do like to use kind of human analogies quite a lot with 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 my clients and for me it, it it kind of just screams kind of that dentist mentality of Oh, you know, it's, it's something we, we have to do rather than something that will kind of almost not quite enjoy, but some dogs certainly will, but certainly be a lot more understanding of the process and therefore a lot more relaxed and calm when I go through it rather than kind of having a meltdown in the patient waiting room, um, which I, I think a lot of our dogs can suddenly feel like when, when they're kind of thrust into the, into the grooming world. Yeah, it's, it, it is, it can be a massive problem and because we're getting, so many poodle crossbreeds now that need regular grooming they mat really easily so um once the dog's got a mat it's even more difficult so I, I can really sympathize at the minute because I've not had my hair cut for a year now so my hair is really long and I'm getting really fed up every day having to wash it to dry it then I get a snag in it and it's really uncomfortable trying to brush it out and I'm really starting to sympathize with the dogs and I can go through that when they really don't like it you know it's so 
as, as a bald man, I can't uh, can't, can't, can't relate <laughs> to that in the slightest, but I'm sure many people absolutely can. It's um it uh, the, the one of the big reasons I, I kind of really wanted to dive into this topic on the podcast was um quite recently, like like many dog trainers, I've had to take a lot of stuff online. Um, so I was filming um, a segment for one of my foundation classes, which is about that kind of cooperative care, getting them used yeah. to kit and equipment and touching and handling and all that kind of stuff. And I, I left a segment in the video um, that I did for clients where um, a member of my team, she had her dog, who's a staffy, eight years old, obviously lived together for, for eight years, amazing relationship. And we went to do a bit of paw handling and instantly pooch was uncomfortable. So kind of pulled paw away, big whites of eyes, kind yeah. of turned the head, licked the lips. And it was really interesting. So I left it in and, and kind of did a bit of a voiceover to kind of just help people understand, even though it's, it, you know, it's your, it's a family member, it's your pet, where you've got loving relationships, probably a bit like us, physical contact can be inappropriate and overwhelming a lot of the time if it's not done yeah, right definitely and, and each dog's an individual as well I've got I've got four dogs myself um but the comparison between the two miniature poodles I've got is immense I've got one I've, I had her from eight weeks old so she's been introduced to the grooming process really gently we're using the techniques I use with all the dogs but my other dog, because I rehomed her at a year old, she'd never had that. And even now, I have to be really careful how I groom her. She she can't, she she's terrible with the dryer. So I, I don't dry her. I, I keep her coat really short because she loves running in the mud. Um, so I keep her coat really short so she doesn't need, so basically she just gets washed down and then she gets... Um, towel dried and that's it that's all she gets but it's that's really it. interesting to say mention that because um because she does run through the mud every day we've just invested in one of the little carcher machines that you can take out that wash yeah. them down so we took it down last week couldn't wait to use it got it out switched it on and this poor little poor little poodle just had a meltdown even that's without me Nick going nearer with it, once I sprayed it, that was it. She that she'd lost it. She'd lost the plot. So what I did was I did a little bit of counter conditioning with her. But then um, I thought to myself, I wonder if it. I wasn't sure whether it was the noise or the spray that was bothering her. So I bought yeah. some of the rough and tumble uh, gloves, drying gloves she can get. Right. Yeah. So I put that on and I put the, the nozzle down that. So instead of it spraying on her, it just wets the, the glove and then I can rub her legs down with it. She's absolutely fine with that. Oh, fab. That's so good. just by tweaking something just a little bit, it's made a massive difference. It is phenomenal. And and Sue, I'm I'm so excited to talk about this more. I've just realized for the benefit of listen, I haven't actually really introduced you at all. So <laughs> what I might do is actually just um for the benefit of those listening, could I just ask you to just give yourself a bit of an introduction on, on kind of who you are and what you do? And then hopefully this will all make a lot more sense. Okay, then so I'm Sue Williamson and my day job is a, a dog groomer, which you probably gathered by now. Uh, but as well as being a, a qualified dog groomer, I've also got a lot of dog-related qualifications, dog behaviour, so uh, I've got an ISCP diploma in uh, dog behaviour. I'm a Tellington T-Touch practitioner. I'm a Reiki practitioner as well. Um, and I've done a low-stress handling um, certificate to help with 
the, the way I groom dogs. So I'm a, what I couldn't call a consent-based groomer. So I like to get the dog involved in the process instead of me just working on the dog. We work as a partnership. So I'm looking at body language, uh, the calming signals they might give me uh, so that I know when they're getting a little bit, oh, I'm not quite sure about that. So I can either counter condition them or desensitize or I can, you know, give them a little bit more choice, uh, change how I'm doing stuff so that it becomes easier for them so they don't have to resort to biting me basically because they don't like being bitten <laughs> no no i imagine and that's definitely probably one of the downsides of i think a lot of groomers will probably uh be able to empathize with because as we mentioned right at the top there it's it, it can be a very very stressful and very daunting activity to undertake with a dog yeah yeah and once you have been you know if once you have been bitten by one particular dog that's it from then on you you know that that dog's potentially going to bite you and then you can become a little bit more anxious around that dog and then that dog picks up on that as well so it's a vicious circle then absolutely absolutely and and so have you um apologies have you always been a dog groomer or um did you kind of a different career and then come into dog grooming yeah i growing up i had a a toy poodle growing up as a child uh and we got a really lovely bond and and i had used to brush her but my auntie well she wasn't a proper auntie it was my dad's cousin's wife um she bred poodles and she was a poodle groomer all right so she my my dog used to go to her to be groomed and strangely enough she she never used restraints either you know so it was a groom very similar which sort of 50 years ago was was an unheard of uh, and then um i wanted to be a dog groomer then but was told it wasn't a proper job so uh, i went into administration and yeah. I, I I worked probably 40 years in administration. Um, No, not that. It wouldn't have been that long because I'm not that old. Uh, Probably 35 years in administration. And then I um, I was ill. And when I went back to work, I I had four months off. And when I went back to work, um, I really struggled to fit back into the the work environment. Um, Yeah, yeah. It was just too overwhelming for me, very stressful. Um, I'd got too much work, not enough time. My staff, um, they'd taken a member of staff off me, but given me more work. And it was just, it was just, I just couldn't cope with it anymore. So I just came home one day and just told my husband I was going to hand my notice in. That's, that's uh that, that, uh, that's amazing because I, I, I can completely empathise with, with, how much of a big decision and a big step that is to, to, to kind of give up those, I call them corporate jobs um, yeah. to, to, to make that jump, to, to, to move into a, a field and an industry that you're passionate about rather than the one that provides the regular the salary and, yeah. and everything else that goes along with it. The strange thing, even at the time, it didn't feel like a big decision. Yeah. Oh, wow. It just, it just felt, I've just got to do this. You know, it wasn't, I didn't ponder about it for weeks on end. I just thought that's it. I just can't cope with this anymore. I'm going to do something different. Uh, fortunately, the mortgage was nearly paid, so I didn't really have to. From a financial point of view, it wasn't quite as a difficult decision if I'd have done it 20 years earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was saying, I told my husband I was on him a notice, and he says, "Well, what are you going to do now? You can't not work." 
Um, and I said, I'm going to be a dog groomer and do a bit of dog training because I'd already got a puppy training qualification. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm sure between my puppy training, my tea touch and learning to groove, I can make a living from it. And that's really how it started. Sorry, my phone's... That's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, so... The next day, I wrote my letter of resignation and took it in. Oh, wow. Um, I never looked it. back. Ne- honestly, never looked back. Well it done. Was, um, and then it was actually five years, a couple of weeks ago, when I actually started my grooming training. Right, wow. Oh, well, happy uh, happy anniversary as such. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> and I did a, I, I chose to do a long course, did a 60-day course in a working salon rather than a college. So I got to loads of experience with different breeds, different, you know, styles, different temperaments, um, doing different aspects of the groom. So, you know, we started with, we had to do a pair of dues and do all the bathing and the drying and then get onto the styling. But yeah, for almost from the word go, it was just, this is such a good decision. You know, it was just an almost... Within a few days of, of doing my training, I'd forgotten about the previous 35 years of working in admin. It was... Just meant to be, definitely. It, yes, it. yes, it was meant to be. And I'm, I'm less stressed now. I've got more time, uh, more time for my own dogs and more time for family. And oh, That's brilliant. And and you're not just a dog groomer and dog trainer um, and telling and teacher practitioner. You're also an author. Yes, I'm an author. And <laughs> that that just happened. I didn't plan that at all. <laughs> we we will definitely circle back over that because I, I I know um obviously I'm 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 itching to get the book uh, myself. Um I've got a colleague who uh, who has it, so I've had a sneaky read of it, but it's definitely one that needs to uh, adorn the bookshelf behind me. Um oh, right. it's um so it's 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 an amazing book and the stuff in that is absolutely fantastic. So I uh Thank I you. can't wait to, to to come back to that because uh I think for, for all of us, whether you're an experienced kind of pooch parent, as I call them, or, you know, a guardian of, of, of pet animals, or yeah. whether you're thinking of getting a dog, or like so many people in our country at the minute, obviously you're probably in new dog owners and, and kind of had new additions to their family. That art of handling and cooperative care and naturally segues into grooming is, uh, is like you say, it, it's probably one of the biggest life skills you can teach with, oh, definitely. With your dog over, like you say, the sits and the downs and everything else, because it is something that you're probably going to use multiple times a week, if not daily. Yeah, especially with the, you know, your double coated breeds, your, your wool coat, your poodle crosses, dogs like Shih Tzus and Lasses. It's, it's so important to be able to groom them without causing them any additional stress. And it, I really do think grooming is really overlooked making sure that from you know the very first couple of days you've got them that you start introducing things positively to them um i think we focus far too much on uh, you know getting to sit touch your hands lay down recall recall obviously is always my number one yeah when i get a new puppy that's the first thing i teach them i want them to come back to me but we you know we do that through games and fun that's it, it doesn't feel like training to them it's just a bit of fun we have um but I would say the next thing on my list is get them comfortable with being handled with having strange stuff touching them it's, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, when you when you think about the size of a pair of scissors in comparison to, say, a Shih Tzu, and that pair of scissors coming towards the eyes, it must be absolutely terrifying. It must feel like a pair of edge clippers towards coming towards our yeah. eyes, it, with a perspective. So, and then we're, we're touching them, then we're getting a pair of clippers on them, and it's making a noise and it's vibrating. It feels strange on the skin. It, it's no wonder dogs freak out. Uh, in the grooming uh, environment yeah I, I i'm one of those um those, those kind of people who all the dogs in my life so i i had boxers growing up so they had really short what i would consider very low maintenance kind of you know yeah. a, bit, a bit of a wash down in a towel was probably about and a nail clipping was probably about as much as they ever needed um the same my my kind of first adult dog um kind of when i left home he was a, a ridgeback great dane cross so again really similar the odd little brush washed down that kind of thing and then when me and my wife got together she had cavalier king charles spaniels um and then we ultimately got german shepherds which just worlds apart when it comes to grooming requirements court management trimming and everything else and, I, and, yeah. our cubbies, and you don't argue, you don't argue with the german shepherd do you anyway no, no, no definitely not it's uh but both of mine are rescues and again really different experiences so like the cavies um Lucy and Merlin, um, they, um, Merlin's no longer with us, sadly, but Lucy still Aww. is. Um, and they they got the same groomer that they have since they were pups. Um, really fortunate that he's fantastic. He does a lot of kind of puppy introduction sessions and that kind of stuff Excellent. to really, as you say, kind of just get them familiar with the environment without any pressure or expectation on them. And as such, they're, you know, she's, I see the videos, we've seen them get groomed. She's, she's quite happy. She's very relaxed. She's very chilled out. But she is quite her temperament is that way inclined, which is, which is fantastic. Whereas my most recent addition, Betty, so she's been with us a few years now, she's petrified of grooming. Um, and she hated water for any form of water when we, when she first came to us. And now it's fantastic. Cause I can actually kind of wash her kind of underside and her legs down. And, Will I say that she's joyish about it? No, she isn't. But she's certainly a lot more understanding and a lot more tolerant and appreciates, as best as I can understand her, that it isn't, um, you know, it's not a worrying or painful or negative experience. It's kind of just something we do. She gets yeah. rewarded for it. And she she will kind of now offer me pause to kind of, to kind of get washed and toweled and that kind of stuff. And that, again, like I said, that's kind of where my interest in this topic really came out. And then, you know, TV shows and everything else aside, it's, I suddenly realized just how much I, I really just didn't know about the work, the time and the effort it takes to, to really get a dog comfortable um, yeah. in, with all of that type of activity. But, you know, we've got, I think with dogs, when grooming is concerned, there's continuum. You've got the dogs at the, the very lowest side, absolutely hate grooming, never going to like grooming. Thank you very much. And then you've got the dogs that actually really enjoy it and they find it a really bonding time and they like the attention. And then you've got the dogs in the middle that realise it's got to be done, but, you know, just get on with it and don't hurt me. And you, we're never going to get the dogs at the far end that are absolutely terrified. We're never going to get them to love it. But we can get them somewhere in between that they can cope with it without having to to terrify the life out of them basically but we have to take small steps and it is I, I really do appreciate it. it's really frustrating to to take those minuscule steps to get them used to cook, to being groomed 
but the more you put those steps in at the beginning, it pays dividends later. Oh, 100%. I, I often, and again, obviously being a trainer yourself, you'll understand, we, we do talk about how much, even though it might feel slow and frustrating to start with, spending a few weeks, maybe even a few months, depending on what the activity is that, that we're working on, that is ultimately going to give you, hopefully, you know, 10 years plus of blissful, easy, cooperative handling. So yeah. if it takes six months of effort now, the payoff in the long run is just immense because rather than being a wrestling match every time you want to try and towel down your dog because they run a mile and, and have no interest in, in enjoying that activity, it's uh, the amount of time and effort that will take you over 10, 15 years of your dog's life exactly. versus and it, the six months. As well, for things like that where the dog doesn't enjoy stuff, the more, the more you have to escalate your behaviour to get the dog dry the more they escalate theirs and it just becomes a battle then each time and each time you have to use more more pressure or more restraint to get the job done it's to me it just makes more sense to break it down do little bits so we never have to get to that stage I've and I must admit I did a lot I've got my working cocker is two and a half I did a lot of work with him when I first had him he doesn't need clipping, he just needs a brush and a wash down. But with his feet, so I wanted to make sure I could do his claws easily. <coughs> and I did lots of work, got that. And then he broke his dew claw on his front leg. And after that, no, couldn't get the clippers anywhere near his feet again. So I literally just started with a nail file just on his shoulder, just stroking his shoulder with this nail file over a couple of nights because what he does when when we go to bed he runs upstairs and jumps on my bed and he'll lay down on my bed that's his comfortable place so that's where I choose to do any training like that I need to do because he's rest he's, he's comfortable he can get off the bed if he needs to so that's just an easy place for me to do it so, so I've just got one of my own nail files started on his shoulder stroking him and eventually I'd say over three four or five nights I could get down I could stroke his paw and then just stroke one, one stroke of a nail, job done. Now I've got to the point, it's took me probably five weeks. And bearing in mind, I only do this 30 seconds a minute every night. Yeah. I've bought a nail grinder now. And I can touch each of the end of his nails now with oh, it switched on. Some I can actually do quite a bit of work on. Others, as it gets nearer to his dew claw, it can cope less, you know, yeah. it, it lays there for probably two or three seconds and now I've got to go now. Um, but that's, as I say, that's probably took me, if I had all the time, it's probably took me 25 minutes so far. And it, it is that, that, that little and often approach, or that's, that, that for me is the massive thing, because it'd be very, yeah. be very tempting as, you know, with busy lives and everything else, even in the crazy world of lockdown, to, to try and just think, ah, 25 minutes, I can smash that, you know, in a, in a night. And that's yeah. actually, that's going to work more against you than it is, as you said, doing your approach of just starting almost nowhere near the actual area that you're looking to ultimately handle, yeah. but just building up the trust and the comfort level that, you know, when you get there, I can then just start to effectively introduce the activity, whatever that might be. Yeah. Very, very slowly a lot of people when they've got an issue uh, say if, if they've got issues with the dogs with the paws they will start at the paw that's far too much start at the shoulder start on the back start under the chin and just work your way to that area building that trust and 
compassion almost that you, you're not going to suddenly grab the fork. Because the temptation is if if they're scared of having the nails done, the temptation is to hold onto the foot, yeah. hold onto the paw. The dog starts pulling the paw away. You're holding a bit tighter and it comes to tug of war and you're still not going to get the nail clipped, to be quite honest. And the, the danger is then if you do actually manage to close the clippers round and they pull the paw away quickly, you're going to rip the claw yeah. And all any work that you've done then is just undone. Yeah, it's it, <clears throat> excuse me. It is. It does take a, um, a a real mind shift, I think, for a lot of people to move from yeah. that. It's a task that I have to do to a. Actually, this is a like you say, it's a relationship. It's a trusting. There's a bond element there, and there's there's a comfort. And the biggest one that you you kind of I'm not say that you breezed over it, but you kind of alluded to. But it's that choice, like kind of I want you to come and allow me to do this with you rather than I like you say I'm going to wrestle you into a corner till I get the result and I take the, the kind of task off my list it's you kind of want Pooch to be comfortable and have that freedom to to get up and, and move away and kind of acknowledge that I've had enough now I need a break and and you um in, in your book I know you talk about this there's quite a lot but um, there's there's two bits of your book that I think are massive in terms of helping promote that type of mentality, and I think one one is the the ace work that you do, the free work, uh, and the other is the I think you refer to it as Matt, is that right? Matt protocol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would you mind just kind of giving people a bit of insight into into what they are? Because I think they're particularly how you describe how you introduce dogs to kind of your 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 salon and and how you work with them and how you remove that pressure and expectation from them and give them and continue to give them that choice throughout how you do your grooming is is phenomenal i'd love for you to just kind of share that a little bit more if you wouldn't mind yeah so when i have a new dog into the salon and it doesn't matter whether it's a puppy or it's a six-year-old dog they all get the same introduction into the salon and I use something called uh, ACE Free Work, and ACE stands for Animal Centred Education Free Work. It was, it's a concept uh, put together by Sarah Fisher. And basically, all you do is collect a load of rubbish you've got around the house, so uh, things like cardboard towels, bubble wrap, licky mats, snuffle mats, and I put those all on the floor, and on each surface, I put different sorts of treats, so I might put a little bit of fourth glade wet food on the licky mats or a bit of peanut butter cheese spread then on the towels and snuffle mats i'll put dried treats wet treats hard treats big treats soft treats just to give them a different experience and then when the dog comes into the salon um i groom one-to-one so i've only ever got one dog in at a time or a family of dogs so the dogs come in and i take the collars leads harness off and they just explore the salon. Um, while they're doing that, they're also absorbing information. So they're having a pleasant experience by eating the food, but they're also absorbing the information that data gathering about the smell of the salon, the different pieces of equipment in the salon, getting used to me, um, the sounds, because I'll do things like switch the dryer on switch the clips on just to watch their reaction yeah, yeah. and that can help me then plan if if I switch the dryer on and the freak out I know that that's an area I've got to work on likewise with the clippers so the first session is just they do free work I don't necessarily even touch them if they come up to me I might just stroke them with the back of my hand but I'm not going to bend down and pick them up and 
start roughing them up as much as I would love to, particularly with the puppies. <laughs> I just oh, no, know that, that urge is hard. It's there's so much information in the salon alone without me adding to to that information. So dogs need to process information like like we do. I, I sometimes use the analogy: if somebody suddenly picked me up and put me in the centre of London pre-COVID. I'd probably freak out, you know, there'd be noises, there'd be smells, there'd be people. And you need time to process that information. Likewise, with dogs, they need to process information. So if I can use the free work, they're processing information. Because they're using the nose and the tongue and the mouth, that has a really calming effect on them because it releases the oxytocin, which is a feel feel good hormone yeah yeah. so it's it's given them a really positive experience if they are a little tiny bit anxious by doing the licking and the snuffling that's bringing their anxiety levels down and actually think actually it's not too bad in here I can cope with this um so that's just the first appointment it's also why the dog's doing that I'll I'll make some notes of you know is the dog struggling to interact with the free work is it just sitting in the corner not being able to do it in which case I wouldn't dream of grooming it the next session you know it needs more work um but I also pay attention to which treats does it really seem to like so if it really enjoys the the licky mat with a cheese spread on that's what I'm going to use if I need to use any food during you know for counter conditioning yeah, yeah. um so it gives me lots of information as well um, I can sort of start to get a feel of how how confident it is around people. So if it's it's doing the free work but not coming near me, that indicates to me that actually it's probably a little bit wary of people. So just you know, it might need another session to start building a little bit more trust with me. Absolutely. Um, some dogs come straight in, you know, woof the food down, then come to me asking, <laughs> where, "Where's the rest?" You know, is that that's all I'm getting. <laughs> Uh, so that's the first experience they get. Pre-COVID, I used to get the owners to come in as well. Oh, right. Wow. Uh, and that was really good because uh, I used to find that when people first came for the first appointment, they'd have the dog on lead and the dog would be trying to sniff around and they'd be pulling the dog back and they'd be trying to fuss the dog and keep it calm. And it was then I find the conversation was stilted because they were so worried about the dog. Yeah. They couldn't talk to me properly. So by doing Ace Free Work, the dog's all all on its own, doing what it wants to do. The owner doesn't get involved. I don't get involved. So it means we're free to talk. And then I was finding that the more I was doing this, the more information the owners were giving me. Oh, wow. Even if I hadn't asked it because they were relaxed and, you know, they tell me what Fredo did the day before and what he, what he liked and, you know, because we probably have, the sessions usually last about half an hour, so we'd have a really good half an hour talking about their dog. And who doesn't like talking about their own dog? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm guilty of that, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I say the sessions are half an hour. They do tend to go on a little bit longer sometimes. <laughs> um but yeah, so the dog gets a really good positive first experience in the salon. And then from there, I, I put a plan in place, depending on how they've been, of what I'm going to do next time. 
but I certainly don't go straight from doing free work to a full groom. The next one yeah. is probably usually if, if the dog seems fairly confident with me, the next time it might be a bath and dry. And then the next time a little bit more so that I break it down for them so that it can cope with each element. Yeah, definitely. And with that, again, I'm going to show my ignorant side here, but is this a, is this a process that you kind of talk to your clients about before they actually come to see you for the first time? I do now, yes. Um, most of my old dogs, I don't, I don't take many new clients on now uh, if they're older. I like to take puppies on because I can start puppies on the right track and I've usually got a client for life then, you know, it's, and it, they're, they're, the, the, the dogs I've groomed since they've been puppies are my easiest dogs now because they just know the process. They just come in and let me do what I want to do. Yeah. We have a little bit of fun and then they go away. So they're the easy ones. Yeah. But most of my older dogs now are referrals from other groomers or behaviorists. Right, right. That, you know, either the behaviorist has referred to me because they're, they've got handling issues at home as well. But other grooms will refer to me because they've got to the stage where they don't know where to go next with this dog because they just can't groom it. So yeah. I get get the the naughty ones, <laughs> it must which be... are actually not naughty. They're just struggling with the grooming process. Yeah, but... I, I, I'm just again, I'm, I'm, I get selfish questions from me here, but like I, I think of that process I went through with with kind of my groomer and obviously again kind of when I started taking the caveats to go and see them and stuff again it was um let's say it was a world I'd never experienced and you kind of have a vision of it but like you said every groomer is different and I suppose kind yeah. of if you're out there and you've got a dog who does have higher grooming needs than maybe some other breeds kind of trying to think of these things I think is going to be massively helpful to think of yeah. rather than just finding the first one with a slot that I can book them into exactly. actually finding one that will suit your dog and your dog's needs that will revolutionize that, is, that whole experience yeah it's so important for some dogs I mean if you've got a dog that doesn't mind being handled that doesn't mind being groomed then you know more or less any groomer but if you've got an anxious dog you really need the right groomer for that dog and it's not because groomers are being cruel it's just that they don't match that um, match suit that dog. Yeah, the, that dog just needs a different approach. Um, so I must admit, my my actual grooming skills are not what they were for when I qualified. <laughs> <laughs> because just because I don't practice those that level of scissoring, the only dog I really get to scissor is is one of my own dogs that. You know, I've had since she's a puppy, so she she lets me scissor quite well. Yeah. Um, but I don't get that technical grooming anymore. It's. And, and, and dare I say, I, I suppose there's probably a big point in that, really, isn't it? Because uh, again, if if you've got a breed that is. So I, again, I'm going to pick on, on my little Lucy, my cavy. Obviously, they can have some fantastic kind of show style cuts, you know, really. Yeah. yeah. She isn't. She's got no. what I call um, um, <laughs> a lifestyle cut, which is, is is very short for her. She gets incredibly fluffy feet, which uh, literally in a couple of weeks will just, yeah, you know, become, yeah, just, and they're not nice for her to walk on because it obviously shifts uh, how her pads are. We had quite um, 
a traumatic experience. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. When we used to actually kind of keep a little bit of feathering in in, in her and um in Merlin's court. And we were on a walk once, um, and it, being a cavy, she loved to kind of flush, so in and out of all the hedges <laughs> and the bracken and all that kind of stuff. And then she yelped. Um, and long story short, she'd wandered round some kind of thorn kind of bush. But oh, the, goodness. The, the thorn started literally as the stem came out the ground. So she went round it. She was wagging her tail like a propeller, as she always does. And the wispy part of her tail had obviously hooked onto this. She'd panicked and, and wrapped herself and ran round it. Oh, and then no. obviously as it kind of went, as the thorns got closer to her tail rather than the feathering of her, of her coat, that she'd obviously froze at this point. Um, I'm now legging it back to the van to, to get my kind of clippers out because I'm thinking I'm going to have to effectively just cut her free as best I can. Um, she was about three, maybe four feet deep in this very thorny bush. So he's me and my wife kind of having to do a, a Bear grills hacking through the undergrowth <laughs> effort to get to her. Uh, and then ever since then, it was literally, it was a choice for us of, you know, she can look incredibly pretty with those shortcuts, but because of how she likes to enjoy life, as aesthetics effectively are irrelevant yeah. at that point, it's about what's going to fit. So now she gets incredibly short cuts. You know, I call her tail that little magic wand rather than the big fluffy kind of feather duster. But it works because now when she does go out exploring as much as she does as an old girl, it's the, the risk and the worry now is... I'm, totally I'm, I'm a big fan of fit for purpose stuff, grooming. Uh, my One of my little poodles, as I mentioned earlier, she loves the mud. So yeah. I don't want to be having to bath her every day. So she gets my shortest blade. She's she's almost bold. <laughs> it's like you Lucy, know, to be fair. She's um... doesn't doesn't show my skills off at all. <laughs> she, you know, people saw me, they'd think, oh god, I'm not taking her. She just scalps every dog. <laughs> but it's fit for purpose for her. She loves getting muddy, she loves running, she loves going like yours through the bushes. And I just don't want to have to keep running through the trauma of having washed and dried every day because I wanted to look pretty. Yeah. She doesn't care what she looks like. She doesn't look horrendous. But she, she, if I let her grow long, she, she has got a beautiful coat. She, I can do some really amazing stuff with her. But it's just impractical for her. And another thing I do, I carry a pair of scissors with me. So uh, you and my... me both now after that event. <laughs> <laughs> so in my little bag with treats and then that, I've got a little tiny pair of scissors because my spaniel goes in the bushes and he comes out with half the bush attached to his ear. God bless him. And it doesn't matter how careful I am. When I'm trying to get them out, I'm getting the thorns in my thumb and my fingers. And it, so I, I just carry a pair of scissors with me now. Uh, my, my, my big sheps, they... Um, there's a few forest walks we do and I, I can never remember the life of the name of the plant that does it but you get all those weird spiky burrs come off it and yeah. the amount of time they've come out of a, out of a hedge on. or through some woods and they're just riddled with these it's like spiky popcorn all over the body and it's yeah. trying to get it out before it starts to bury in and all that kind of stuff it, it can be a, it's, it's a lot of work it's a lot of maintenance and it's yeah. and, and like I say that that's real life with with you know living with your pooch and Again, that and as, as well at the moment, we, we have to be careful with the frost. We, I've got a, an old showcock spaniel and I hadn't trimmed his feet uh, for a while. And we went uh, to our local 
nature preserve where we walk the most often. And halfway through the walk, he started limping. And he'd got a build-up of snow in his paw pad. All right, you wow, yeah. And this was before I'd started carrying the scissors with me. And he wouldn't let me pull the pull it out either. So my husband had to finish up carrying him back to the car because he couldn't walk on this paw. Bless him. <laughs> It, it, it's, it's crazy because I suppose when you first set out with your dog in your life, you don't think of all of these scenarios that oh, you may encounter. No. And, and instantly, again, instantly, their handling, even picking up, can be a big deal for so oh, many God, dogs. Yeah. And, it's, and particularly, with dare I say, with littler dogs, we just kind of do it without a lot of thought, regardless of whether Pooch really yeah. wants to be lifted three or four foot in the air. It's, I think it, everybody, everybody who wants a dog should have a little dog that doesn't like being picked up. You, you soon start to respect their space. Um, again, my little party poodle, she she just doesn't like being picked up. She won't bite, but she's, she's like this. She's pushing against you. She's giving all the calming signals. So for things that we need to pick her up for now, we've taught her a pause on. So for getting in the car, she puts a pause on the deck, the uh, the boot. Yeah, yeah. To let us know she's ready for us to pick her up and put her in. Oh, bless. But, uh, it, that, but that, that ability to communicate is huge though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, so she gets choice now. I mean, she's never not, never not going to want to go in the car. She loves the car now. <laughs> Uh, but we found when we first rehomed her, she had travel sickness. Right. Um, but I think it was a she got travel sickness because it was a build-up of triggers for her. So for her, me just picking her up off the floor, putting her in, was a massive trigger. So we, I, when I've got a, when I'm working with a dog or I've got a dog that struggles with trigger stacking, I try and work out what the triggers are and what I can do to negate those triggers. Yeah. Um, and it was really obvious she really didn't like being picked up. So we just, I just thought, well, how she's got, she's going to have to go in the car. We, we do a lot of travelling pre-COVID. I've got a caravan, so oh, I would really? like to go away in that a lot. So I, I just thought, what can I do to make it easier for her? So we just taught this pause on, and she knows when she puts a pause on, I'm going to pick her up. So it's just easier for her. And I, she's a dog. I, I mean, I'll pick my other poodle up. She just doesn't, she, in fact, she loves being picked up. You know, she's a real snuggle monster. But it's rare I pick Ritzy up. You know, it's it's just something I don't do because I know she doesn't like it. And it's, it's, it, it always fascinates me. It really does kind of to see that level of understanding. And it takes time for, for anyone, whether you're experienced, oh, gosh, yeah. you know, experienced with dogs or not. It's, it's not till you really start to look that you suddenly start to pick up on all these little signs and these little things that dogs do to tell us how comfortable they are with situations. And I think that's why your map protocol obviously is, is such a success as well, because it's, it is that communication. It's that kind of permission, isn't it? To, to say, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of happy now with a bit of handling and a bit of grooming versus kind of like, say it was chasing them around trying to do it. Yeah. But it's not actually my map protocol. I use it, but well, it, it yes. was, it was Joe, Joe Haffenden, I think it yes, was, that yeah. created it. So the premise of that is when the dog is on the mat, I can groom. When it steps off the mat, I stop grooming. Dead easy. It's really easy. It's a really clear sign that the dog's saying, yes, you can groom me or no, you can't. Yeah. The other one I use, I, I use, table protocol I tend to use table protocol more than the map protocol now yeah 
uh, I have my table on its lowest setting. I've got a little stool I sit on. So um, particularly for medium and large size dogs, it's easy because they can get on and off the table really easy. I had a, oh, I can't remember, is a poodle cross, but I can't remember what it's crossed with now. But yeah, I just sat on my stool, back the table low. I think he got off the table twice, went to the door to see what was happening outside, come back <laughs> straight back on, did him in an hour and a half. You know, really peaceful groom, really calm. Yeah, if I'd have put the table up high, put restraints on him, because if the table's high, you really need to use restraints with some, not well, we call them safety aids. Um, that groom would have took me a lot longer because he would have been displaying, um, he's not a fan of being groomed, like many of the dogs I groom, uh, but it would have been a case of, you know, he'd probably been struggling against the, the safety aids, he'd probably been tap dancing on the table, sitting down, standing up, may escalate to growling and air snapping. And then it just takes longer because you, you happen to be really, a lot more careful, you know, some dogs then you have to put a muzzle on because you're at risk of being bitten. That upsets some dogs even more. Yeah. And when you've got a muzzle on, you tend to, this temptation to just push the dog because you can, because it's got a muzzle on, it can't bite. It's, so, it's interesting, like you say, it's, it's so easy for these management and safety elements to, to come in. But like I said, depending on the dog and the dog's comfort level and, associations with those items and objects it's like you say you are you could potentially just be making a bad situation worse and like you say because yeah. like you say because you think i can't get hurt it's it is very it's fine, That's on fine. Regardless, <laughs> regardless of how poor pooch is feeling i think i've used a muzzle since qualifying i think i've used a muzzle three times two of that was uh the the nail the claws were growing into the pads so it's a welfare right. issue i've got to get those nails cut yeah, yeah. Um, and the other time was I got a little westy crossing that uh, the matting was that heavy he couldn't move his he could hardly move his front legs it oh, was stuck him. to his chest Ooh. and he was he was he was obviously in pain he wasn't comfortable the mat, mats was uncomfortable so I had to muzzle him so I could get this matting out of course and it's uh it's like you say, it's, I mean, I'm a huge fan of muzzle training anyway, just generally, but it is, it's like you say, it's in an ideal world, it is that scenario is I don't want to to put my dog through through wearing no. one, particularly if they're not conditioned to wear one. And then, like you say, going to a groomer's, if, if, if they've got that lovely freedom and that choice, their, their, their experience of it and their enjoyment of it, it just shifts massively. And it's, it can be such more, like you say, it's an experience and it's an enjoyable one where Pooch will want to do it rather than, a needs most welfare type situation where you may find yourself quickly creeping into when you don't have that ability to, to keep on top of things. Yeah. And it, it does. I mean, it's for, I've got a Facebook group uh, where we've got lots of uh, groomers, but we've got guardians as well. Um, and occasionally we'll get, you know, suggestion of using a muzzle. And I don't want I don't want the muzzle to become a, a common theme. I'd rather look at the behaviour behind, the, the, the emotions behind the behaviour. Yes, yeah. So if we can break it down for them. So if I've got a dog that's scared, 
me putting a muzzle on is not going to make it less scared. It's going to make it more scared because it because it then cannot defend itself. So, yes, in that moment, I can get what done, you know, get the job done. But the next time that dog comes in, it will remember, probably not remember the, the details, but it will remember how it felt. Yeah. So it will remember it was scared last time it's come so so instead of having to put the muzzle on halfway through the groom, I'm going to have to put the muzzle on a quarter of the way through the groom and leave it on for longer. So it, it's rare that using a muzzle improves the behaviour unless you shut the dog down where you get no behaviour at all, which... is Yeah, it's just a horrible situation for the dog. Even yeah. More. Sadly, it looks like it's effective, which I think is why exactly. a lot of people fall into that yeah. trap, doesn't it? Because you think yeah. they're being well-behaved, but the ch- in reality, they could just be so petrified worried anxious whatever the emotion is behind it that it's resulting in no behavior at all which looks like a well-trained dog to some people sadly and it's it's, it's very easy to fall into I, I i i always I, I used to groom a dog that uh she really struggled and it didn't matter how gentle i was how what techniques she still hated being groomed and she would she would go through the full she'd go through every every behavior to you know she She'd go through the fool around. She'd be jumping up, licking me. You know, but a lot of people read that as loving you, you know, being that are really friendly. But actually, I knew by the other behaviours she was given that it that wasn't the fact she was just couldn't cope. So that was the fool around cope. And then she would go into freeze where she'd just sit. That's the point I would move away from her because her next... Next technique is fight. Yeah, and, it, and like you say, it's it's it is one of those fascinating things. I mean, I, I, dog body language is something I, I can quite willingly just sit in the park all day and watch because um, yeah. I'm, I'm that type of person. But it, it it it's it's it is amazing how even me with my own dogs. I, I'm I'm not. I don't think any of us are perfect. But there's always times where I do something and I just think you've just told me loud and clear you're not really comfortable with that, and I've had to kind of stop and check myself and acknowledge yeah. that my pooch has told me that where if I wasn't being aware it'd be very easy just to kind of carry on regardless and and like I say that's when different things different scenarios depending on the dog are going to happen and like I say I'm a big believer in prevention is always better than cure so oh, if, I can, if, I, if I can see those things and observe them and have kind of skills and things up my sleeve to support me with that which your book is is absolutely fantastic at doing. Oh, thank um, you. It, no, no, it's serious. It so is because it's uh, obviously we, we've we've mentioned a lot of things obviously around certain ways that you deal with things. Obviously, I'd like, say the the kind of map protocols, the ace work, the Tellington T touch stuff, which I may have to have you back on to talk about that in its own right because it's it's an amazing topic. Um, but then again, just how you build up and use different items and articles, and without diving too much into it, because I know you were recently on the. Um, box in the bookshelf podcast yeah, which i'm a yeah. mega mega fan of and, and obviously you did talk a lot about the book there so i'd much rather have people go and listen to that and hear the information that you shared on there than listen to me but if you're kind of struggling or even just like me just kind of interested and intrigued in, in how to help your dog kind of get more comfortable around grooming and skills and techniques your book is absolutely brilliant at, at doing that and you actually have two versions of it as well I do yeah I've got the one for the guardians so if you've got your own pooch at home or you're thinking even thinking of getting a dog please buy this book prevention is always better than cure 
Yeah. If you if you introduce grooming positively from the word go, you shouldn't really have too many problems later down the line. Whereas if you've got a year old pup, a year old dog that you've not done any grooming training with, that's at the salon and struggling, it's really difficult. Then it's a lot more work to put in later. Um, but as well as the grooms one, then I've got uh, the guardians one. I've also got a, a groomer's version for the professional groomer. So, you know, if you've got the salon uh, or even I, I work from home and I use all these techniques. So that, that includes a lot more detail of um, the impact of the different equipment. A um, bit more about the ACE work in there and how I introduce puppies into the, well, dogs into the grooming environment. Just hopefully to get them thinking a little bit more about the dog's experience yeah um, it's, uh, and, and that's one thing I'm, I'm, i absolutely love it i know it's on your website as well and obviously your your facebook group um if you're happy for me to do so and definitely your website i'll link to in the show notes oh definitely um, yeah. is obviously you do workshops and things and, and the, the one yeah. resonated massively kind of obviously doing a bit of research hearing you obviously with Stephen that on barks is there was a, a, a big emphasis on education and awareness and training. And like all things with evolution of, of dog training in our world generally is that is absolutely king and absolutely key to, to just giving those different perspectives, alternative ways to do things that ultimately should add a lot more benefit to, to obviously the life of our dogs. And to see you not like say offer two versions of the book out to help start that process and complement those COVID aside kind of with workshops it's huge because one thing I did pick up when you were on that podcast was about like all of us, you, you kind of learn from your teachers. So the people who teach you and impart knowledge to you, yeah. there's an element of emulation there that goes on and you, and you'll kind of, you perpetuate potentially similar techniques and, and ways of working that may or may not be in the best interest. So to, to have someone like yourself. almost yeah, I, I know for sure. If I'd have not gone down the tea touch route, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be the groomer I am today. I, I, I don't think I'd have been a harsh groomer, but I'd have probably been, um, I'd have probably groomed like the majority of groomers do, yeah. you know, that every, it, one size fits all. Uh, but it was just the tea touch, all the stuff I learned through tea touch and the fantastic instructors and, you know, People like Sarah Fisher who's got the ACE, the ACE program now. It's all stuff I've learned from them, which is not the grooming side. I tend to do more training now on the behaviour side than I do the grooming side because I just think the behaviour is so important. Once we get the behaviour, once we get, once we understand the dogs, how the dog's feeling, we can start breaking it down and changing something. Um, when I've got an analogy, I call it a kaleidoscope effect, where you remember your kaleidoscope, but yeah, yeah. you just moved it a tiny little bit and it completely changed the picture. So for some dogs, just changing one tiny little thing can make a massive difference. Ah, oh, 100%. You mentioned it earlier with, with the uh, the washer and, and your dog, and obviously yeah. then attaching yeah. it to the mitt. Um, my, my Betty's the same. Um, she, she's petrified of the bathroom. Um, I don't know what happened before she came to us, but any attempts to go in there, if she thinks the bath is involved in one way, shape, or form, <laughs> clear, very, very clear signal. She ain't going anywhere near yeah. that bath. <laughs> um, and I, I only have a cold outside tap, which obviously 
particularly this time of year when it's been obviously in the minuses on a regular basis. No interest, obviously, of me wanting to even pick that up with my dogs, let alone use it. Um, so like yourself, I've got one of these kind of portable washers. Um, and again, just spending the time looking at different ways to do that because Hugo, he's a, he's a hose biter, you know, any fast moving water, he just wants to chomp it. Yeah. So again, a different attachment, a brush attachment or using it into a glove. These really simple little techniques just completely revolutionize for some dogs that whole experience and take away so many of the uh, of the worries and the apprehensions that they may have. Some dogs might need a lot more work, absolutely. But yeah. I was actually quite surprised how quickly, how quickly it changed my poodle, just using the mitt. I thought I'd still have to do lots of counter conditioning with her, but no, she she was quite confident standing there letting me do it and in fact she's even lifting the paws for me as I was going around she was lifting the legs so she was confident enough to be able to do that if she was if she'd have been in freeze she wouldn't have been able to have done that so I was really I was really surprised how much just that tiny little difference to me made a massive difference for her and and like I say it's just that awareness and foresight isn't it because it's so easy just to think like I say, I've gone out and I've bought this piece of equipment expecting it to, to work or to be a solution to the problem that I've got. Yeah. And if it is unsuccessful first time out for whatever reason, it's very easy then to either get frustrated and annoyed by the situation yeah. or to go seeking yet another different solution where actually just taking that breath and having that moment and just thinking there's a different ways I can do the same type of activity, but in a with a, like say a different bit of kit or a different material or a different way of introducing the you know the the object or the water or whatever it might be to my dog. But I had actually bought these mitts, the, the the drying mitts, because I had a dog uh, come in for grooming last week. Doesn't like the hair dryer, hates the towel. Oh. So how do I dry a dog that's that's like that? So, so I'm going to try these drying mitts, and I've yeah. I've not tried them on him yet. But while I was trying them on, I thought. Oh, I bet I could shove the nozzle down down these and see if Ritzy will let me wash her off using that. And it just works. It was there was no major planning in it. <laughs> but it's it's those little bits of inspiration and 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 that 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 sharing of that experience again, it just can revolutionize different people. Because instantly now I'm sat here thinking, Betty would probably really like that. Because even from a texture perspective, you know, what that actually yeah. feels like against her is so very different from you know, a bristled brush that might be connected to my hose or, or like say the hose itself or anything like that, you know, the, the, the hose on the, on the portable washer that is, yeah. um, that kind of, it's just, it's just a completely different sensory experience. It's probably going to sound different. It's going to feel different. Um, and like you say that, that can just be a, a simple solution that has massive effects and yeah. it's very easy to overlook those. Yeah. I mean, I could have, you know, I could have taken the, the view that, She's a little dog. I can pick her up and just do it anyway. But she's not a dog that you do that with. <laughs> Still got forty-two teeth. Doesn't matter how big they are. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's. I must admit, she doesn't. She is not a biter. But I think. No. It, she, I think if I pushed her far enough, she would. Um, as would any dog. Yeah, hundred percent. If you if you if you're not heeding their their, their warnings and advice, I'd say they they will move up that ladder yeah. and. But with her, if if she has an upset, she'll it affects her for the rest of the day. So if if I've had to groom her in the morning, you know, if she's got really muddy and I've had to put her in the bath, then I don't do anything stressful with her for the rest of the day. Yeah. 
because uh, it takes us so long for our cortisol levels to come back down. It's so if I can prevent raising them in the first place, it just makes more sense to me. Oh, definitely. But my my boo's the same. She's um she, she's uh yeah, gr- grooming is is only one of the many things that she's not <laughs> always been great with. Um, and it is, and like I say, that that's it, isn't it? It's if 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 I know there's going to be scenarios where I'm going to introduce some stress into her life then I need to then manage all the other stresses in her life yeah, accordingly yeah. rather than just keep piling them on and piling them on because I'm just setting her up to fail at that point and she's that's not good for her it's not good for me it's not good for our relationship or anything else so, no. so taking that time and effort is is massive and I would say there is a bit of a correlation between not being liked uh, not liking to be groomed and behavior other behavioral issues at home and a lot of that is around handling you so no, not like being dried with a towel um a little bit there's a bit of a link as well i've noticed more recently of resource guarding as well linking with not liking being groomed yeah Um, i'm not sure if there's been any studies in it but i i can definitely relate to that some of my client base and and some of the cases i've had recently and and kind of pre-christmas was yeah there was definitely a big link between handling touching um picking up versus dogs obviously response to things in its its immediate space um yeah. whether that you know that, that type of resource guarding type views of the world and then general behavior outside of that as well as I, I think like a lot of things that's why i love the free work stuff especially is because your dog's confidence and comfort level and um I, I don't know if tolerance is the right word but that ability to navigate different obstacles different yeah. textures feelings sound smells and kind of be all right with them and, and just be a little bit more kind of relaxed around those that's why it's such an insightful thing to do because as like you say i i, I not in the in the grooming salon but i use it with clients as well because it just it can just sitting back and watching it just tells you yeah. so much about them yeah and, and uh, because it's so easy to explain i've because I've, I've not been doing one-to-one consults through covid i've been doing zoom yes yeah so just to be able to explain to them how to do it it's just made so much difference to and the dip some of the differences it's made to dogs is you think why would it affect bats and I've got one client that got her her little dog was reactive to people so I you know started off by calming the home breaking stuff down in the home and we did the free you know I said do this free work um, and then have four I said have four or five days off first of not walking yeah uh, but do the free work instead and then get to the point where when you want to go for work do a little bit of free work before you go and then go out and what they hadn't actually told me was that this little dog wakes them up at three o'clock every morning to go to the <laughs> toilet we don't mind cats even though we're a dog podcast we're all cats. <laughs> within four days of doing the free work she stopped waking them up at three o'clock wow it's and that's it, the it, only thing that changed it's it's so fascinating i like i said uh, the for something that on paper when you see it and read about it, it can look so simple but the effects and difference it has in, in dogs is is unbelievable and the, the, what i love about it is you can you can always evolve it you can always make it even more kind of 
enriching for your dog and you can yeah. add more and more so you kind of your imagination is your limit really and it's that's what i love about it it's not just a do it once and, and that's it you've kind of and it's been different each time and even time. though I, I, I use free work for the first session but what I, what I do for future sessions is um, just pick out the things that they've really enjoyed so if they've really liked the licky mat and the snuffle mat I'll have two or three of those in the salon so if they do need a break they can go and do a little bit of free work that's, that's you know why I clean my bath or wash my blades <laughs> you know it's it's not extending time to the groom because I just use that time to do something I've got to, to do anyway. Yeah. And, 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 and again, and, and for those who do have any, any knowledge of grooming listening, like I said, it's a, it's a very different setup to what people have, have probably seen or experienced, like you say, where there is high tables and safety restraints and, and, and things like that in place to, to, to basically front of vets who kind of get the job done, you know, to kind yeah. of get Pooch in yeah. there, get them groomed and get them kind of back home or whatever. It's that, um, and I don't want to tar all groomers with with the same brush here, but it, but it that can you know it did it, 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 like everyone, but you know there's a business arm to it. You've got to kind of obviously have the clients come through the door to be able to to work and everything else. But such changes can can make, have a massive profound effect to pooch, and it it's just such a different and fresh way of looking at the same task, but with a very different yeah, different method yeah. to, to, to achieving the, the same outcome. And that's why that the book, like I say, is is just phenomenal to kind of really. Just, just open that that door to different options and different variations to, like you say, to not only to us as kind of as, as pooch parents, but to to have that that professional edition of it as well. Um, yeah. That for me just kind of blew my mind. To I, I don't think I've ever really come across a a, a book of that type that that does that, where effectively yeah. the the content's the same, but with two very distinct audiences. Yeah, it actually started off as one book. I was... <laughs> Uh, it started off as one book. I was just going to write the, the groomer's version. And the reason I started writing, it, it didn't start out as a book. I, I did my workshops, but I was finding that when I was doing my workshops, a lot of grooms didn't know what calming signals were. They didn't understand trigger stacking and what impact that had on the groom. And they didn't understand about the autonomous nervous system. So every time I did a workshop, I was adding more information and I got to about 20 pages and I thought, I might as well just write a book. And it was almost a throwaway thing I said to a friend. And she says, yeah, you've got to, I'll edit it for you. And that was Jane Harvey who actually did a fantastic job of ed- editing the book for oh, me. Wow. I, I'm just a brain dump person. Yeah. Get it all out. And then she put it into the nice pretty words and sentences for me. <laughs> she did an oh, awesome wow. job on it. It is. It's fantastic um, to read. And I got about, I must have been about, probably about a month off of publishing it. And I still got a title by then. Um, And somebody, another two two T-Touch practitioners bought a book out very similar. Um, Using T-Touch, a lot more emphasis on the T-Touch than than in mine. Um, And I thought, well, it's not worth me publishing mine now because somebody else has done it. So I spoke to a few people and they said, oh, no, you know, how many, how many, how many dog behaviour books have you got? You know, you get people, different people's <laughs> perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody says to me, she says, well, why don't you do two books, one for guardians and one for, for groomers? And then you can actually make it a lot cheaper because you're not including stuff that they're not going to use. And obviously yeah. the, more, the more pages you've got, 
the more expensive it is to publish. So I thought, oh, well, I might as well then just split it into two books. And it seems to have worked. It, it's it's phenomenal. And we haven't actually mentioned the title. And I'm not going to do um, my Steve Goodall with this because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a man of voices like he is. But it's it's taking the girl out of grooming. Yes. And, and, is, and is the um, professional version the same title? That's called Taking the Girl Out of the Grooming Salon. Ah, the groups are right, fab. So there's a nice yeah, so there, but it's... It, de- it defines which version, which you do. But I really struggled with the title because every title I came up with, things like, you know, I had ideas of the trusted groomer and then I thought, oh, that implies that other groomers are not to be trusted. And, yeah. and that's not the case, you know, so I didn't want to have anything that groomers might get offended by or upset about. But I was really struggling. And then I'd been to Agility one evening with my, my working cocker and I just pulled up on the port the, the drive and just thought, well, oh, taking the girl out to grooming. And I had to run in the house and write it down before I forgot. <laughs> it's it's, it's, that's, it's, it's exactly it's so, what it does. <laughs> and it's so non-confrontational. But also, you know, if we get annoyed, we go, <laughs> and when dogs are annoyed, they go, Grr. so it makes sense from both both aspects it, it, it's such a fitting title and like you say and, and that's the other bit that i really love because i say what we what we don't want to do is like you say is create there's enough us and them type mentalities in yeah. the professional world and that's not what it's about it is about sharing information education improving what we do as a whole across all of our industry and that's what i absolutely just loved about the book so much because it's just it just opens the door like you say to that real understanding of grooming is beyond the technical skill and art of, yeah. of, of, of the styling there is there's a, there's an animal at the other end of this and there's a lot of stuff going on there that just not by kind of anything malicious it can just be very easily overlooked and yeah. that's what i absolutely loved about the book i highly employ anyone with the slightest bit of interest in just more kind of um more successful cooperative care with with their pooches it's got to be there it's not expensive for for the amazing content that's in it definitely buy it and I'll, i will put the links into the show notes so people oh, can lovely. thank you think that out because it's, it's a phenomenal book yeah and it was actually recommended by the uh, apdt last week i was actually it quite was. stunned yeah. at that because it's i'm a, not a member it, um, and it, it just goes to show doesn't it just um for those um, I think you may or may not have seen it I think it was their their response to to obviously certain TV programs that are out at the moment and some of the information that was going on and some of the comments I think that was flying around in in yeah. certain circles of, of dog training and behavior and it was uh, I think it was a very well written article and, and and I did absolutely love that it did kind of just shine a light on the other options and the other information like say yourself and obviously the the box and the bookshelf podcast where where you guys dive into that book in a lot more detail is definitely worth a listen and the book is definitely worth a read i was quite stunned i just got so many people messaging me did you know your book's been recommended (laughs) (laughs) and and right and 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 rightly so because again like you say we all have multiple books on the same topic but it's again like i say it's, it's education it's awareness it's it's giving people different options and different approaches because as we all know one size does not fit all when it comes no. to I'm and- just so I'm actually so stunned about it though because for me it, it, I just wrote it and I thought oh, it'll sell a couple of copies my friends and my family will buy it and I didn't actually I didn't realize how much it would be how much it was needed it, it, I think 
it certainly was and, and I like gobsmacked aside you should be incredibly proud of it because it is, it's an amazing oh, piece you. of literature it's um i like to say it will be I, I have a little selection of books i always recommend to to kind of my clients whether they've got rescue dogs whether they've got puppies or even whether they just got if it may be a couple of troublesome things kind of with their their dog that's been with them for years and like you say because of how integral cooperative care is to a dog's life and in our interactions with them that will definitely be on the on the list for it because it's it, i am like I say i'm not a book review or recommendation podcast like box <laughs> um but the information that's in it and if any of this whole interview and conversation has sparked anyone's interest into understanding how to get much more of a a collaborative approach to, to that care and grooming side with their own dog then it's definitely the book for them it, it's just i just wanted to make you know give that information out so it's easier for the, the guardians and the dogs you know it's there's nothing worse than struggling with a dog that doesn't want to be brushed <laughs> that you know that you're going to get get told off the next time you go to the groomers because it's matted yeah uh, and that was one of the, the techniques in the book the, the trust brushing I had a, a lovely lady she absolutely adores her dog but she really couldn't cope she couldn't brush so we, every time he was coming to me it was matted and I actually just said to her why are you not brushing him oh he won't let me he pulls his legs underneath him and then I have to hold on to him and he gets really upset and I don't like doing it so just breaking it down for her and explaining you know giving more choice you know if all he wants one day is three brushes that's better than half a dozen brushes where you're not actually doing anything because you're only just touching the end of the coat so we came up with a trust brush in between us and we've never looked back you know it's, it's just gone uh, it's just gone 14 weeks because oh, wow. I'm not supposed to be grooming you know yes, yeah. we can only do welfare but it got to the point where he needed grooming. Um, it, it's, a couple of his nails have got really long. So I I had him in last week. He'd gone 14 weeks. And yes, his, the lower legs were a little bit matted where he got mud stuck in them and that. If that had happened three years ago, he would have been a welfare, you know, RSPCA case. So just breaking it down for her and for the dog, it just made so much difference to them. And, and I think that's something we can often forget about because having a dog in your life and if there is something that isn't quite working, we're fantastic at, um, I don't know what the word is, but we're, we're fantastic at managing ourselves and the situations and where we think we're, we might be helping Pooch because I'm not putting through the stressful thing of trying to brush them. That in itself is going to have adverse consequences yeah. to the dog's welfare anyway. So there's a lot of these things that can sometimes very quickly snowball or bottle up to a point where they become much worse than they potentially had to be all because I, I, I'm going to use myself as an example with Betty. When she first came to us, she, she wasn't great with dogs when she was on lead. Um, you know, trained professional myself but I went and sought help out from other professionals and yeah. it can feel like a bit of a kick in the pride like when you've got to go I, I want to consider myself as a wonderful kind of pooch parent and I'm a, hopefully a great dog trainer but when I suddenly got to go and ask for help or I'm struggling with something I'm not really sure where to go it can become a very lonely and isolating world when actually like say there's resources out there there's people out there like yourself who are more than willing and happy to to kind of help and support and give information that's, that's just hopefully should help 
kind of overcome those situations and make life a lot better for you and the dog. And it's, it's sometimes it's just embarrassing to ask for help as well. You know, if you yeah, can't, absolutely. I mean, how embarrassing is it to admit that you can't brush your dog? <laughs> Yeah, and, and, it, and like I say, it shouldn't be like so many things in life, you know, we shouldn't have those stigmas attached to them, but we do it. It's what happens, societal pressure and all that kind of stuff creeps in. And it's, it is, it's, it's very easy to let that, that overwhelm the, the yeah. taking action. Yeah. And that's, that's it. You know, if you know, you've got a dog, a, a matted a dog that's starting to get matted, you know, maybe you think, oh, actually, I'm going to I'm going to move his grooming appointment off so I can get some of these mats out before I take him. And then you can't. And then he gets even more matted. Then it's just a vicious cycle. Then you still have to take your dog to be shaved off completely at the groomers. Um, but then that makes it even more difficult for them at the groomers because the mats are painful as you, you know, as, as much as we, we try and be gentle. If you've got a mat that's really close to the skin, it's going to it's going to not hurt, but feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, and then sure. when you've took that matting off, the body has got a completely different sensation to cope with as well. Yeah. I, I, back when I did have hair, not quite the same, but when <laughs> I did used to shave it slightly longer than I do now. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it feels very different when you go from, you know, uh, effectively, you know, having that much coverage to then suddenly not, it's, it's a very unusual sensation. And it is for me as a human. So God knows what yeah. it's like for a dog when you've, when you've gone through that. It's, and like I say, and that's, again, it's another reason and, and not to sound like I'm overly plugging your book, but it is fantastic. Cause if, if, plug you, away. <laughs> if you are one of those people where you, you find yourselves in those situations, that's exactly what that book's fantastic for doing is giving you those hints, tips, protocols, exercises, and ways to, to make that interaction with your dog so much easier, which ultimately just avoids situations like that ultimately happening, which just makes everyone's life so much more relaxed and, and so much more enjoyable, which is ultimately mm. what we want with our dogs. Yeah. And it can have, you know, knock on effects as well. If, you know, if you've got a dog that doesn't like being brushed and you're forcing it, that dog could be upset the rest of the day. So it spoils yeah. the rest of the day for it. And it struggles, you know, if you, if you're trying to brush your dog and then want to do a training session, if you've raised its arousal levels, it can't learn then to do the training. So it just has an impact later on. Yeah, it's it's so so it does. It's it's amazing. Um, Sue, I'm conscious that I've consumed so much of your time today, and I'm, but I'm so I could talk all day. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought we kind of could do a bit of a recap. So I'm just trying to think of the things that we've covered off. I mean, obviously that initial interaction with with the the kind of groomer and the grooming salon obviously sounds sounds like definitely a key area so if i've got a dog and i'm looking to to seek a new groomer or you know they're a pup and they're going to need that kind of grooming support it sounds like finding someone who is empathetic to your dog's needs and yes. who will allow you to do those introductions is definitely a a big tick and a big plus point on 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 that kind of list would that be fair to say yeah so so ring around a few groomers see what what introductory sessions they do uh some will just do a one meet and greet session and the next time we go on to a full groom some particularly with older dogs the tend that most groomers tend to do like introductory sessions for puppies but if you're moving from one groomer to another it's very few do the introductory sessions for older dogs so even if you've got an older dog really be careful about asking questions of how they introduce dogs to the salon. Um, you know, what techniques that do, do, do they do consent grooming? So if you've got a, a dog, a 
particularly a rescue, try and find a groomer that does the consent-based grooming just to make it easy for everybody. Um, with puppies, you definitely want a groomer that does introductory. Uh, but things like asking them, I mean, with COVID, it's difficult. But um, with puppies, I also let the, before COVID, I also let the owners stay for the first two or three sessions. Firstly, to give the dog confidence, but also it gives me the opportunity to talk to them about struggles they might be having a term brushing or grooming, and I can show them how I do it and help them along. Um, but again, if I've got older dogs that are really anxious, then I might have the, the owners stay. Um, a lot of a lot of groomers don't allow owners to stay, even outside of COVID. Um, there might be genuine reasons for that. Uh, there might be in a multi-groomer salon, you know, if you've got five dogs and you don't want five owners as well. Yeah. So, you know, that's another consideration. We've got four different types of groomers, basically. We've got uh, the big grooming salons, uh, where there might group, you know, there might be five, four or five groomers. Yeah. Uh, again, nice. That suits some dogs. Some dogs are absolutely fine. Then you've got your one-to-one groomers, uh, like myself, that I I've got a cabin in my garden I groom from. Uh, so we only I only have one dog in at a time. I don't have multiple dogs in, so the dog comes in, gets groomed, go home again. Yeah. Uh, you've got mobile groomers that've got vans. So they groom the dog outside your house in a, a bespoke van. Yeah. Again, that's good for some dogs, particularly if they don't like to travel. And then you've got the groomers that actually come into your house and groom. Right. Um, again, that's that can be really good for really anxious dogs that get separation anxiety or have got other needs as well. So really think about which groomer is going to be best, which what type of groomer is going to be best for your dog. Uh, and then within that, which groomer does does the consent grooming yeah. that, that you would probably want for your dog? Uh, and I say some dogs are absolutely fine with what I class traditional grooming. Yeah. Um, but many dogs need extra need extra support. Um, and it's not that they're being naughty, it's just they're just emotionally can't cope with grooming process so yeah and again that's kind of what makes me swing right back to that whole dentist thing right at the start because again it's again it's not something that i'm a, a huge fan. i can do it i can deal with it I'm, I'm kind of generally fine i don't have a meltdown where if i look at my mum for example my mum used to have a really like chronic phobia of it oh, and I, just even, me even taking yeah. me was, was was bad enough like just being around it and again the thing for her was always the smell and, and obviously, imagine that. Obviously, you know, within dogs' world, that that must be insane. Particularly if, oh, gosh. Dare I say, if there's been a stressful dog, a bit like vet, if there's been a stressful dog there before you, and you arrive, and you just get that that full olfactory sensation of stress and worry and panic, it's it's naturally going to make you go, "Oh my god, what?" Oh happening? god! And if you've got other dogs, <laughs> if you go to a salon where there's you know the groom four or five dogs at a time, if you've got another dog in there that's barking and stressing out it's going to set the other dogs off and they're thinking, God, what's that dog worried about? You know, <laughs> I better yeah. do that as well. You know, it's, uh... it's, it's, it is amazing. And again, it's, it's very easy to forget about those things. Like I say, just even think about the type of groomers. It's, 
um, it's it's so easy just to see it as I need a groomer, I found a groomer, yeah. dog goes to groomer, rather than thinking what type of groomer, what methods do they use, how comfortable is my dog with being handled and groomed. And then, like I say, obviously for anything in the home, buy your book, follow that. That's definitely the best advice out there for that. But I think um, one thing I promote with a lot of clients, I, I don't know if you're the same vein, but I'm a big fan of like asking questions. So when I, I, had, I had Ben from Put Put Services, um, he does a lot of dog walking services and we spoke very similar thing about him. It's it's very easy not to not to want to ask questions because you, yeah. you're going to a professional. And actually, it, for me, it should be the other way. In the same way that I don't just have one build around or one plumber around to my house and they're the one I sign up with. It's I want to make sure I've got the right person for the job. Yeah. And, like asking yeah, I mean, I mean, really I... I don't care how many questions people ask me, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather them ask all those questions up front and make an informed decision of whether I'm the right groomer for them. Cause I'm not the right groomer for some people, you know, some people want this perfect, perfectly groomed dog. That's, you know, could win crust tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not the groomer for you, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I don't do that. Um, so, you know, ask those questions, make sure it's the right groomer, because if you find a good groomer, well, let me rephrase that. If you find the right groomer for your dog, you're going to go to that groomer for life. So in, for me, investing my time at the beginning of the relationship is worth it to me. I want them to know exactly what my my ethos is, how I'm going to treat their dog, what I expect of them as well. Yeah, yeah. So that they don't come to me and think, oh, she's just going to blue my dog and I'm going to have this perfect dog when it comes out and look beautiful. That's not going to happen for a lot of dogs, that I, particularly the ones I groom, because a lot of them are behaviour cases. Yeah. So they really, I really want people to know up front. I don't want them to invest time into coming to me when actually I'm not the groomer for them. Because that... That has a negative effect on me as well. If somebody comes and disappointed with the finish, that affects me as well. You know, it yeah, makes of course. me feel upset. Um, it, it is. I, I must admit, empathise or relating, I should say, to, to your point about kind of groomer for life. My so my wife is where we currently live. She's she's from a different part of the country. When she came here, the first two things she found was a hairdresser for herself and a, <laughs> and a groomer for the pups. And like I say, we've used that groomer now for. Well, with Lucy 12 and a half nearly 13 years yeah. and it's it is because it's just complete peace of mind and, and like you say our expectations are really clear of hours of him and we have that relationship where as she's got older and different ailments and things have come into the equation being able to share those and their respect of those and their change of approach to accommodate those things is is fantastic and in the same way that when she comes out you know I usually get a list of right he's this this and this that we may have seen or observed you know, which is fantastic feedback for me. Um, I mean, when, when you think about it logically, your groomer, for most people, your groomer, but you, your dog spends a second amount duration with the groomer than it does with anybody else. Yeah. Unless it goes to doggy daycare or a dog walker, you know. But the, but the intimate handling of, of, of some grooming is, is, oh, like God, say, yeah. for, is such a, an amazing early warning system, particularly if your dog does get groomed regularly. It's, uh, so I say with Lucy, um, she's of an age where she gets a few lumps and bumps now. And, uh, our fantastic groomer, he's the first one to say, are you aware of this? Yeah. And we can say, ah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When, you know, when she was getting cuddles the other night, we're aware of that. She's 
you know, vets, whatever, that kind of thing. But he's brilliant for that, you know, that, and to have that open dialogue and that trust between you is knowing that it's always in the best interest of the dog. Yeah. I think it needs to be a, an open conversation anyway, not just about the health, but the behaviour as well. Because I've had, yeah. you know, when, whenever somebody comes to collect the dog, I also tell them how they've been, you know, what they've struggled with that day, what they could perhaps do a little bit more help at home with, um, you know, try and explain to them that the, any behaviours that I've shown, it's not because the dog's being naughty or being aggressive, it's because they're scared and they need help with that. So, um, yeah, I've got a really good relationship with most of my, my owners now because we've built it up over, over a long time, you know, a lot a long time um so it is it's you know I, I a few years ago i had a dog come to me uh that another groomer she couldn't groom his face he was just trying to eat her while she groomed his face but i found he was better on the floor if i did his face on the floor he, he, he no trouble at all and I groomed him quite a few times. It was absolutely fine. Then this one day I did the right side of his, no, the left side of his face, absolutely fine. Did the right side of his face and he started to get really, really cross with me. So I thought, this is not normal. This is not. So yeah. I had a look and he got uh, an abscess on his gun. Oh, bless him. So I stopped grooming at that point and rang the owner. I said, you know, you might want to get that sorted. If I'd have carried on and muzzled him for that, the next time he came in, he would have that memory of pain associated with me touching his face. And then I would have had to have done a lot of work. Whereas it was, I stopped. And yes, the next appointment, well, I had to be a little bit careful the next appointment and just rebuild that trust around that area. Um, so I think it's really important that groomers and owners talk to each other you're not just dropping a, a your car off to be serviced. You wouldn't you yeah. wouldn't drop your car off to be serviced and then not ask when you get back, is there anything wrong? Do I need yeah. to get anything checked? And it's the same with your dog. You know, when you get back, ask how they've been. Ask if there's anything they're struggling with. Um, have they picked any health issues up? Have, have they snapped at any point? You know, it's start getting a dialogue with your, your groomer. And if your groomer doesn't want to talk to you about those things, if they're just getting you in and out the door then that might be the time to look for another groomer that will spend that extra few minutes with you discussing your dog yeah definitely and, and trust is such a one of those things isn't it? it it takes such a long time to build it and it's so easy to break it like you say yeah. you could just yeah. carry on regardless and that just undoes what could have been months if not years of hard work and it's yeah it's like I say entrusting somebody to do such an, an intimate act of grooming with your dog finding the right person for I'm, also, I'm one of the worst people to be quite honest I, the only dog I've ever sent to a groomer is my my old show Spaniel Taz and the first two times I had him groomed I had somebody come to the house yeah. and I bathed him before and dried him and she just scissored him but she I must admit he looked stunning when she'd finished he looked like he was just about to go into Crufts but it just wasn't him. It just he's a rough and tumble, you know, Devlin Carner type of dog. And it just <laughs> didn't suit him. So then I just started hacking bits off myself because it was before I was a groomer. And then he never went to another groomer until I started doing agility. And one of the ladies that one of the friends I made there, she, Taz loved her. 
who really, you know, really liked her and knew she was a groomer. So I asked her if she groom, and she grooms very much like I do, you know, she doesn't That's use awesome. restraints and stuff. So because he'd already got a good relationship with her and I knew she wouldn't push him outside his comfort zone, yeah. she groomed him for a while as well for me, you know. But again, I told her, I don't want this pristine dog. I just want a tidy dog. Yeah, <laughs> it's, oh, it is. Oh, it's, that's fantastic. Sue, um, I, I've absolutely loved talking to you about this. And, and oh, like you said, I could probably carry on doing this yeah, all day. All day. Um, so just to cover up, what's, uh, what's the best way people can kind of look up you and, and what it is you do? Have you got a website that they could visit? Yeah, I've got a, I must have, I'm, I, I need to update my website. It's a bit out of date at the moment, but it's uh, www.happypawswithsue, yeah. all one word, .co.uk. The best place probably for you to go is if you're on Facebook, I've got a Facebook group called Taking the Grr, and that's G-R-R-R. Out yep. of grooming dogs. Join that group. Uh, as I say there's lots of groomers in the group, uh, guardians, other dog professionals. So if you're struggling with any area of brushing your dog, or even if you want to find a groomer that uses consent-based grooming, join the group, ask in the group, and we'll we'll do our best for you. We'll, we'll try and find that support you need. I'm in that group and it is fantastic. So I'd definitely echo that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. I've cre- I love what I've created there because it is. It's a wonderful it just, place. When I first created the group, it was just going to be for people who bought the book. But then I thought, well, how am I going to manage that? How am I going to know whether people have bought the book or not? And then I thought, you know what? It doesn't really matter if they bought the book or not. Just let them in. So you do <laughs> have to join. You, you do have to jo- answer the joining questions. Of course, and it is it uh, is one of those lovely, safe, kind of well managed communities as well, which is what I really yeah. like about it. It's... Yeah, and occasionally we have to remove a comment, but we do moderate it quite well, so that it's all Definitely. positive based stuff. Um, I have had to cut down on because I was getting quite a lot of requests for recommendations of, you know, a dog trainer in Solihull or, and yeah, so I've, I've, I've bought, I've tightened the, the requests up and it is purely about grooming behaviour. Yeah, there's plenty of other places for that kind of stuff, exactly, like you say, that's, yeah. that's what's nice about it. it it's, it's very on topic, which is which is what's lovely about it because it's very easy for it to spiral into lots of other yeah, things. Yeah, it could works. quite easily just become another group that... Yeah. Is not fit for purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and the big one, just tell us again the name of the book and where people can find that. Okay, so the book, the two books are Taking the Grr Out of Grooming Your Dog and Taking the Grr Out of the Grooming Salon. They're both available on Amazon. Sorry, it's Amazon. I know some people don't like supporting <laughs> Amazon, um, but that's where I've published it. You can sometimes buy it direct from me, but I'm out of stock at the moment because it absolutely went crazy after Christmas and I saw my stock out. Yeah, so, it so it should be. Yes. Um, so Amazon or if you want to buy it direct from me, I, I'll sign it. If if you want to sign copy, uh, you won't have to wait a few weeks, but join the group and there's instructions there how now you can buy it direct from me in the group as well. That's fantastic. And, and I it, have... I've just so, launched an online training platform as well because oh, I can't wow. do my workshops at the moment. Uh, at the moment, the only one I've got up there is the T-Touch um, training course. It is aimed at groomers, 
but once you learn the techniques, you can adapt it for your own dogs at home as well. Oh, brilliant. Where can um, we find that? And that is HTTPS colon double slash happy pause. No, it's not happy pause. Forget that. HTTPS colon double slash taking the girl out of grooming dogs. So I've kept it the same. Yeah. And it's dot thinkific dot com. Fantastic. I can send you the link and then you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll pop them in the show notes 100%. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. And but I, over I, the next the next month, I'm hoping to add things like counter conditioning, desensitization, uh, and then I'm going to put my whole one day workshop online as well. Wow! Because I'm well, not going to be able amazing. to deliver it this year, so I thought if I put it online, people can keep going back to it. Yeah, definitely. And that I must admit, it's um, I, I'm a big fan of the in person stuff. I'm not going to lie, but the one thing everyone's kind of come back to me with with the online stuff is their ability to go back and re-watch things and yeah. you know kind of that, yeah. and that for online learning is fantastic and it's it's so yeah. easy to with a, you know with, with a one day shop yeah you learn a lot in that one day shop but there's only so much you can learn and remember in one day yeah. whereas if you've got you know six months access to a course you can keep going back and we re-watching bits so uh, definitely i'm hoping oh, that that's going to be appeal to people Definitely. Well, we'll pop all those links on there. I will also pop the link on, obviously, for, for your amazing um, interview with Box and the Bookshelf as well, because that does oh, dive into a, a lot of topics in a lot more detail, specifically around the book. And if, if you've never heard that podcast either, um, they it is just one of the funnest, nicest, loveliest <laughs> podcasts to listen yeah. to. They're, they're it's a really good fun to do. As brilliant, well. brilliant guy. Are you, are you saying that this one wasn't so? Is that what I'm taking? No, I'm, I was trying to think how I could say it. With... <laughs> I've already widened you up now. What those Guys, I'm easily wound I'm, up. <laughs> I'm a big fan of what those guys do. It's uh, they're a, they're a, it's an amazing podcast, and like I say, promoting books, um, obviously, which are amazing for for professionals and kind of guardians alike. And yours is definitely definitely up there. So thank you so much for for breaking time out your day and coming to join us on the Wolf and Porson podcast. Right, it's, it's been, been lovely. Awesome. It's been really good fun. And and one last question I've got to ask: What's the name of the cat? Misha. Misha, I appreciate Misha. people will be able to see the cat with it being a podcast, but he, he made an appearance <laughs> about 20 minutes ago. And it, uh, yeah. <laughs> just... that's, that's the problem I do have. I, I was thinking of doing it, doing the podcast, doing the interview in my grooming salon, but I thought I can't be bothered to put the heating on just to do an interview. Oh. So, but the trouble is, it doesn't matter where I am in the house, I've either got the dogs on me or the cats. <laughs> oh, no, that's why we have them. They're uh, part or part of the family, but it's. Yeah, she's, so, she's, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you oh, so, so much for joining me. And it's been lovely to, to actually kind of meet you virtually. And hopefully once yeah. COVID happens, um, we'll, we'll eventually kind of meet face to face. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I, I just need that face to face contact again. It's, yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's well, getting I, a bit I, wary now. I, I do have a, a dog training venue, which is actually big enough to host little kind of seminars and stuff. So oh, if you're wow. up for it, it would, and if you fancy a travel up to the Northeast, it'd be lovely. To have Whereabouts you. are you? Um, I'm, I'm in a place called Darlington. So oh, yeah, right at Darlington, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just off the A1 and up in the northeast. So I think from you, I think probably about two hours, I think. Short yeah, a couple of hours, yeah. 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 It says, yeah, a couple of hours up the road. But, um, yeah, it'd be fantastic to have you up. And um, maybe even I could sweet talk you into doing two sessions, one for professionals and one for uh, and one for, for the rest of us, for us dog in public to uh, <laughs> all about yeah. of course i can do the ace i can do the full ace workshops as Look well and, and i and advance too to, so i can deliver one day workshops on ace as well 
that'd be so, brilliant. Yeah, so yes, that, that, we need when, to make uh, that happen when uh, when when, when things hopefully are. <laughs> yeah, yes. definitely. <laughs> oh, so thank you so so much, and uh, I'll speak to you very soon. And thanks for joining Lovely. us. Lovely talking to you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the Woofing Porsome podcast. As always, if you do want to get in touch, you can find us on social media. I'm at Great Pause NE, which is Great Pause NE for Northeast, on both Facebook and Instagram. You can also contact me via my website, which is greatpause.co.uk. And you can also consume some free online courses at greatpausegang.co.uk. Excellent. Thank you very much, folks. And we will see you soon for our next episode.